Matthew chapter 13. If you have Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to read it in a few moments. Uh, but this is really the wrap-up to the series we've been exploring over the summer. So if you missed a sermon or two, remember, they're all online, recorded forever and amen on our YouTube channel, or we have a podcast and you can catch up on all those sermons. But we're going to do a bit of a summary today. So hopefully if you're just coming in for the first time, you'll be able to uh, tune in. I had a reason to get a hold of um, a transcript of my high school marks recently, and I do not recommend it. Um, if you've been out of high school for 35 years or more, like I have, uh, it's, it's maybe not recommended. In my mind, I did much better. <laughs> and I think what happened is up to grade 10, I actually did very, very well. And as my transcript clearly told me, I got way off track in grade 11 and 12. And we won't get into all the stories, but there were a few distractions that came into my life and a few that I brought in of my own accord. And so my grade 11, 12 marks are not stellar, but they tell me and they remind me that during that period of time in my life, I really did get distracted by the cares of this world. Um, and I got distracted and didn't stay on track and on course in my faith either. But right after high school, I went to a camp on the Shuswap Lake uh, called Eagle Bay Camp. And I went there to volunteer as a cabin leader for a week. And I was forced to get back into the Bible. And because I was desperate to provide something for the kids that are in my cabin that made sense for a devotional reading. And during my time of preparation, I came across Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. And some of you might know it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. It changed the direction of my life. Uh, Bill Buzan, who I mentioned last week, who many of us remember, um, and he, we remember him for all of his jokes, but I also remember him for the many things he taught me. And uh, one of the things that we love to do together is read a series of books called Life Verses. And these Life Verses were verses of uh, men and women of faith in history who had a particular verse that seemed to anchor and epitomize their lives. If I was to have a Life Verse, it'd be Matthew 6 and 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's why we've taken up this idea of the kingdom of God. What is it about? How do we seek it first? How do we set priority to the values and vision of the kingdom of God within a world that is constantly trying to distract us, right? And so that's what we're looking at as we look at Matthew chapter 13. Jesus speaks about the kingdom of God as a present reality that has a future fulfillment. It is both now and not yet. So that's the, the first thing we really have to hold on to is the kingdom of God is not something we're waiting for out there. It's not just synonymous with heaven when you die, right? The, Jesus, when he spoke about the kingdom of God and started preaching, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He spoke about it as a present reality. The kingdom of God is within you. And he talked to Pilate, the kingdom of God is not of this world. It doesn't share the values, it doesn't share the origins, it doesn't share the duration of the kingdoms of this world. It's entirely different. And so Jesus teaches us to pray, 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sometimes when you see those phrases back to back, the second phrase explains the first. So when we read, thy kingdom come, and we wonder what does that mean? It's kind of explained by, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what it means to to witness the kingdom of God coming in power. It's when we see God's will done in our lives and in the communities around us. And that is what it means to pray for God's kingdoms to come. So seek first the kingdom. Set priority on this kingdom. If we are a follower of Jesus today and we haven't given much thought to the kingdom of God, then we're missing out because it is both challenging and incredibly exciting to think about participating in God's will at this time, in the present moment, in this very challenging time in our world. But here's the thing. I think often when we talk about uh, the kingdom of God in the church, and we talk about discipleship in the church, we present it as if it's an alternative reality. Like the church is meant to model an alternative reality to what we see in the world, or even an alternative lifestyle to what we see in the world. But that's not really the case. And bear with me as you think through this together. Because when Jesus comes, he doesn't, he doesn't explain an alternative. He explains the way, the truth, and the life. It's not alternative reality. It's original reality. And that's very important for us to get. See, we've been conned into thinking that the way that the world currently operates is normal. It's not. It's not. And, and yet, we, we're in it so long and exposed to it so long that we assume that the values of the world and the way the world operates is completely normal. And it's not. We've become so familiar with things like violence that we assume that that's just part of the human condition. That's, that's part of what we, we're to expect. Or we become so conditioned to greed and injustice and even natural disasters. And all these things were not as God intended. All of these things are the result of the sin and brokenness in our world. And they're not as God intended for us. And so that's why Jesus comes and says, Repent, have a change of thinking, and come back home. Come back home to the original intent, which is the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God isn't a parallel universe or an alternate reality. It's the original intent. It's how God meant for us to live. And so to understand God's intended way for you and I to achieve our maximum uh, potential as human beings in this world, we need to understand the values of the kingdom of God. Values like justice and peace and grace and generosity and faith and hope and love. That's God's intent for us. And so when Jesus comes, he doesn't come to, to create something other than what God already intended. He comes to make us most fully human in the way that God intended us to be and also to care for our world the way that God intended us to do so. I remember the moment when I realized I needed glasses. There's lots of glasses wearers here. Do you remember the moment or close to? I was driving with my friend. I was the one driving, which 
uh, he didn't realize at the time was a hazard. And uh, we were in Kelowna, and it was before the time when the, the, you know, the lady's voice on our phone barked out directions for us. And so we were trying to find an address of a friend's house or something like that. And uh, we were trying to read the street signs. And as we're coming up, I started to realize that he was able to read the signs way quicker than I was. Now I said to him, how can you read that? It's too far away. And he's like, how can you not read that? It's 20 feet from us and you're not seeing it, you should pull over right now. And I suddenly realized that I needed glasses. And so when I went and got them and put the glasses on, it was like, oh, that's how it's supposed to be. Anybody ever do that? Maybe it's just me. I think our daughters recently had to get glasses. And when Triona put her glasses on, she was like, oh, the world isn't blurry. <laughs> uh, she just assumed, right? We just sometimes assume that that's the way the world is. And then we adjust to it. We change our habits and behaviors. We accommodate it. And then we just become part of it and we assume this is the way it is. And it's like that, I think, in our world. If we're not careful, we just begin to assume that this is the way it's supposed to be. It's not. And Jesus comes announcing the kingdom of God to invite us into something that's far greater, far more real, because it's the original intent. That's all Jesus is doing for us. He's showing us what it means to be truly human. So he does so in Matthew chapter 13 by talking about the sower and the seed, the weeds and the wheat, the mustard seed and the yeast, the treasure and the pearls, and fishing with nets. He tells parables. And that's what we find in Matthew chapter 13, these amazing earthly stories of the kingdom that are actually meant to confuse us just enough to set us off balance so that we can change direction in our thinking about God and his world. Well, how did the people respond to his teaching? We're going to read the very end of Matthew chapter 13 and starting to read at verse 53. When Jesus finishes, he goes to his hometown, but the general sense you get is how people responded to his teaching because I would assume, and I've often said, oh, if Jesus was just here, man, I would have faith that could move mountains. And then we see the disciples, and they're as confused as we are today sometimes. But we also see a lot of opposition. Even when Jesus does very good things, people want to get rid of him. So this is what we read in Matthew chapter 13, verse 53. When Jesus had finished telling these stories and illustrations, he left that part of the country. He returned to Nazareth, his hometown. When he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed not really in a good way, and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son, and we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, not the one that betrayed him, different one, popular name, like Mike, John, okay. All his sisters live here right among us. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown and among his own family. And so he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. Wow. Jesus rejected by his very own. And we'll get to that in a minute and, and how familiarity breeds contempt. That's the old saying. 
And we find that here in the life of Jesus. Well, the key phrase I want to leave with us when we're thinking about the kingdom is the phrase that started out uh, early in Matthew chapter 13. And the phrase is this, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Or something like that. Variations depending on your translation. And Jesus is actually quoting out of Isaiah. Uh, when the prophet was going to go to the people who had ears, but they didn't hear what the prophet was saying. It wasn't because they need hearing aids or anything like that. It was because what? They weren't willing to pay attention. And so whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Uh, as many of you know, of course, we have a dog. And our dog started as a puppy. And she was very cute. She still is. But she grew legs. And she's now 85 pounds. And so she's a, a large dog. We were told she was a lab. We think it might be more Great Dane. We'll see. She's still growing. Uh, so hopefully stop soon. Uh, but Berkeley is a great dog. And I suspect that because she's very smart, she knows far more English than she lets on. <laughs> she does. And, uh, and I could give illustrations about that. But I know that she knows words like stay, leave it, and get off of me, you giant menace. I know that she knows that because she, when I'm trying to do stretches for my back on the floor, she has this habit of coming and sitting on me. And when you've got an 85-pound dog putting all, your weight, all her weight on your chest, uh, you say words like that. And I know that she knows. I know she understands. I know she knows her name. And we call her lots of different names. But her recall in the off-leash parks is not great. She's not deaf. She's ignoring us. And so we've discovered if we ever want to get her attention, there's a key word. It's not her name. It's not come. What's the word? Anybody know? Treats. And sometimes when we're going for a walk and she sees another dog and she's interested, we say treats. And she's like, yeah. And we're handing her, it's like feeding drugs to an addict sometimes. <laughs> just little treats. And she doesn't even chew them. She just swallows them whole. But, but it's, that's the idea. She's listening for keywords that affect her directly in the way that she wants to. And we all do that, don't we? Uh, we listen for the things that support our preconceived ideas and the direction we want to go to. Often when we want to ask for advice, we go to the people that we know will support our predecisions, <laughs> that will support our values and all those kind of things. We don't really want to hear from the people who tell us not to do the thing we want to do. And so my point is this, like my dog, we all have very selective hearing. And Jesus knows this as he speaks to people. As he speaks to the same crowd, there will be people whose hearts are ready for the seeds of the kingdom and those that are so hard that they won't be able to receive these good words that Jesus has to say, words of life, words of truth, words of hope. So, do we have ears to hear? Are we ready to pay attention to what Jesus has to tell us about his kingdom? Will they transform our lives? Let's go quickly through the passage, very, very quickly through Matthew chapter 13 as a recap. The sower and the seeds, read it later if you haven't read it before. Sower and the seeds, Jesus reveals to us that his message will largely be rejected by the world. Because when Jesus tells parables, he's actually revealing something about himself, his message, and his mission. And if we pay attention to that, we'll get an idea of how Jesus operates, and we'll get an idea of what we should expect if we're following Jesus. 
So in the sower and the seeds, Jesus says the farmer goes out, sows the entire field, and only a quarter of that field produces fruit, produces a crop that's worthwhile. Imagine the, uh, the sadness of the farmer. All that work to sow the whole field, all the money spent on the seed, all the generosity of throwing the field around, and he gets such a little return. That's the hardship that Jesus was saying he was about to face. He willingly sowed his life into the world, and yet only a handful respond ultimately, at least in our lifetimes, to the gospel. And so maybe we shouldn't be surprised when many don't want to hear us talk about our faith. I mean, we get excited, we know the value of it, but we start to bring it up with others and they're like, keep your religion to yourself. Jesus faced the same thing. He faced that kind of rejection. But we also learn in that parable that the kingdom of God does not come with that right-handed power, with that power like the other kingdoms, the power of the sword, the power of conquest, but that the kingdom of God comes with that opposite-handed power, the power of the seed. And if we're willing to sow the seeds, we just trust God for the fruit. Then we looked at the weeds and the wheat, and we realized Jesus is revealing something else about himself, his mission, and his message. And he says that there's not only apathy to the message, but there's also active opposition. An enemy comes in and sows counterfeits and imposters, the weeds, and you can't tell them apart. And we should expect that within our life in the kingdom of God, that there'll be authentic parts of that that we will see and be obvious, but right alongside there will be counterfeits and we have to be careful. But here's the key of that parable, which is so interested. interesting. Jesus says, don't be so preoccupied with the counterfeits and trying to mount witch hunts and trying to get them kicked out and trying to work toward the pure church. Don't be so preoccupied with that and trying to weed everything out that you end up doing damage to the good things that God is already doing. Don't worry about it. God will sort it out in the end. That's an interesting challenge. The mustard seed and the yeast is another parable, a group of parables Jesus tells. And in this, Jesus reveals that his kingdom does not come with loud fanfare, but instead it starts small and quiet and has the power to transform everything. Just like, and we talked about this parable, the woman that was making this dough, and we picture like a nice little loaf, and she's putting in the yeast, and she's blending it. No, it's a hundred pounds of dough. It's an unyieldy amount that, that, um, unwieldy amount that she is putting together. And Jesus uses this hyperbole to talk about the effect of the kingdom of God, which seems so small, but has the power to transform not only our world, but our lives. And so the promise is that God, who has begun a good work in you, as small as it might seem, he will perform it until the day of completion. He will keep working on you. So be patient. God isn't finished with us yet. He's working through the seeds of the kingdom. And then the treasure and the pearl in this Jesus reveals that he is the seeker. He has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And he's willing to pay whatever it costs in order to secure the treasure, and that treasure is you and me. And Jesus is willing to give his very life for the world so that we might be 
his possession, his treasure. And then finally, we see in the fishing net that Jesus reveals that his message in the kingdom is far bigger, far more scarily inclusive than we can ever imagine. But then he lets us off the hook. That's a fishing analogy, by the way. So the nets, the fishing, the hook. Okay, he lets us off the hook and he says, you know what? This fishing net of the kingdom is going to drag in all kinds. And guess what? You don't have to sort it out. You don't have to be the judge. That's, that's one of the things that resonated with me in studying this passage. I'm so thankful that I don't have to determine the eternal destiny of a single human being. It's not up to me. Thank God. Because I know a few I'd put here and there and yonder, right? And, but we don't have to. And what a relief that we can allow the judge of all the earth to do what is right. There's a man by the name of Jacques Ellul, and he's a bit of a controversial thinker and writer. Um, but he said this, and it really stuck with me. He said, Christians were never meant to be normal. Not normal in the way the world defines. We're never meant to be caught up in the normalcy of the systems of the world. It's not meant to feel normal. The violence, the greed, the disasters are never meant. So if you feel disturbed when you watch the news, good. If you're feeling like, oh, just another news day, be concerned because we, we've become so uh, hardened to some of the effects of stuff in the world. We're meant to be disturbed. Christians were never meant to be normal. We're always meant to be holy troublemakers. We've always been creators of uncertainty, agents of dimension that's incompatible with the status quo. We do not accept the world as it is, but we insist on the world becoming the way that God wants it to be. And the kingdom of God is different from the patterns of this world. That's why we need to give thought and attention to the kingdom of God. So do we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to this church as we anticipate a fall ministry season going forward? What is God causing us to pay attention to, to listen to? What disturbance is he creating in our souls, in our community? We need to pay attention to that. Well, when Jesus went to his hometown, and that's the passage we read, he faced a huge problem, and the problem was over-familiarity. We know this guy. We, we played with him on the streets, right? He grew up, I babysat that dude, right? Some of them are saying that. Like, we, we watched him. We, we know his sisters. Do you know that Jesus had sisters? Yeah, his sisters live right here. They're just down the, the door, the, the, the street from us. And so this over-familiarity meant that they couldn't hear the message of Jesus because they assumed that they knew him already. That's a challenge to each and every one of us. If we've been around the church for a long time, I find this in my own soul, I assume stuff. I assume that I know Jesus already. I assume that I know stuff about the kingdom already. And that can have the same effect as the people in the village where Jesus went home to. It can cause us not to hear what Jesus wants to say. So we need fresh ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And so that we can be the answer to that prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for sending your son. 
We know that you spoke in the past uh, through the prophets, through your creation. But in these last days, you've spoken us clearly through your son, Jesus. Help us to pay attention. We know that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we so desperately want to be on the right way to know the truth and to experience life. We want that for ourselves, for our neighbors, for our communities, and for our world. So give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us as individuals and also as a church in this season of our lives together. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.